Good morning, friends. It is good to worship with you as we continue our series on beloved hymns. This week, our hymn is I Danced in the Morning, uh, better known, I think, as The Lord of the Dance. To explore this beloved hymn today, we're turning to two passages from the Gospel of John. The first reading is referenced in verse 3 of the hymn with Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath and that being at odds with the religious authorities of his day. Our second reading from John may not be directly referenced in the hymn, but gets to the core of who Jesus is as the way, the truth, and the life, which I believe is the very essence of today's hymn as it tells the story of God's Son. Uh, And for the uh, first reading in this one, I'm reading the Gospel of John from the Common English Bible, which feel free to read along in your few Bibles. It'll be a slightly different translation, uh, but both are good, just it gives you a little different angle than we might be used to. I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's Word together from the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, beginning with the first verse. Don't be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. My Father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you will know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you all this time? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. So it's no secret that in our community and as a nation today uh, that as a whole, we're not nearly as biblically literate as we were 50 years ago. Though I majored in religion in college, have a seminary degree, and am currently in school for a doctorate in theology, I am convinced that my grandparents will still, more know, still know more content in the Bible than I ever will. Some years ago, one poll found that a majority of Americans could not name the first book of the Bible nor could they name one of the Gospels or even one of the Ten Commandments. I was equally saddened 
and humored by this, but one poll even found that 10% of Americans believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> there are myriad reasons for this uh, biblical illiteracy, lower overall church participation, more things to distract our attention, uh, and so on, but the end result, sadly, is that people in general just don't know the story of the Bible. Church leaders have come up with a number of ways to address this over the decades, but my favorite uh, strategy, I guess, has been the rise of storytelling hymns. Our Glory to God hymnals have added dozens of these that have been crafted over the last few decades. So instead of a hymn using big theological terminology like omnipotent, these hymns seek to tell a story from the Bible often a story about Jesus from the Gospels. Compare, for instance, the hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, which, don't get me wrong, is a wonderful hymn that I love, but it assumes a basic understanding of the Bible, and it uses that terminology to be more creative with it, to go a little deeper. Whereas the hymn, A Woman and a Coin, if you want to look, number 173 in your hymnal, illustrates the wisdom of Christ by telling the story of the three parables of lost and found from Luke chapter 15. Our complimentary hymn, God the Sculptor of the Mountains, that we'll sing at the end of the service, is a storytelling hymn, as each verse moves from creation to the exodus and eventually to the story of God becoming flesh in Jesus. Of course, I wouldn't be going into all this detail this morning if our focus hymn, I Danced in the Morning, wasn't also one of these storytelling hymns. And, I would argue, the original storytelling hymn. It was written in 1963 by Sidney Carter and was among the first modern hymns to employ this storytelling style and spark this movement that, that I just described for you. But it turns out, Carter's hymn is really a throwback to a much, much earlier style. In the medieval period, it was common for songs to tell the story of Jesus' life, in particular, the story of his birth. Another tradition Sidney brings back from the medieval period was to narrate the story of Jesus' life as a sort of dance. A popular medieval text which tells the story of the life of Jesus is titled by its first line, Tomorrow shall be my dancing day. To be honest, I find this pretty entertaining because just a couple generations ago, this tradition was far lost as Christians, uh, some Christians saw dancing as a form of sin. Think the story of Footloose. While I'm not much of a dancer myself, the idea of dancing, whether as a theological metaphor or quite literally dancing, has been part of the story of God's people from the beginning. From the Exodus, where after the Hebrews crossed the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is stopped by the crushing waters, the people erupt in joyful song and dance led by Miriam and her tambourine. David danced before the Lord as the Ark of the Covenant was brought into Jerusalem. If you were to go to, uh, today to go to Ghana and worship with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters there, 
you would find yourself in the middle of a dance party as the people of God joyfully dance together to the Lord's table to receive the sacrament. Over the past several decades, the art of liturgical dance was brought back to uh, worship spaces in the West. So, there's no denying that dancing is part of our story as the people of God. So it's no surprise that dancing is used as a metaphor for the life of Jesus. First in the medieval period and then brought back through the work of today's hymn. Carter's hymn uses an old shaker tune to illustrate the life and ministry of Jesus as a dance. Jesus danced into his birth in Bethlehem. He danced for the scribes and Pharisees. He danced on the Sabbath. He healed the sick and paralyzed all to the dismay of the religious leaders of his day. He even danced to his crucifixion and death and danced through the empty tomb and his resurrection. The combination of the dancing image and narrative quality of this hymn show the interconnectedness of the story of Jesus and the incarnation of God on earth. Yet, this hymn goes beyond the earthly ministry of Jesus, as it tells the tale of the Lord of the dance, not just as the person of Jesus of Nazareth, but as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. This divine dancing began at creation, in the morning when the world was begun, dancing in the moon, the stars, and sun, before coming down to dance on the earth. And in the final verse, as it depicts Jesus' resurrection, proclaiming, I am the life that will never, never die. I'll live in you if you live in me. I am the Lord of the dance, said he. This brings us back to our second reading from John, which, as I said, isn't directly referenced in the hymn, but it gets to the essence of who God is for us in Christ, which to me is the essence of our hymn. It's a passage that I often use at funerals because of the comfort that it brings in learning just who Jesus is for us as the way, the truth, and the life. My Father's house, there are many rooms. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So this dance of Jesus is unfolded in the dance of God the Father. The Father is in Jesus. Jesus is in the Father. You can just see how words like this in Scripture amazed, confounded, and perplexed the early church into eventually developing what we now know as the doctrine of the Trinity. The idea that our God is one in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. This has been the Western church's way of talking about the Trinity basically since the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. Our Eastern brothers and sisters in Christ, though, understand the Trinity with a slightly different focus, yet one that has been striking the intention and interest of theologians in our part of the world for some time now. In the West, we tend to focus on the oneness of the triune God. Our God is one, but is known in three distinct ways. In the East, the emphasis in the Trinity is on God's threeness, three persons known in one very being and essence of God. There's an image used to describe this understanding that goes all the way back to the 8th century or perhaps even earlier, 
But in the 8th century, church leader John of Damascus coined a term called perichoresis. I know I'm throwing out Greek words. I'll, I'll explain it. In Greek, this means peri, which means around, and kareo, which means to move or go, or some have even suggested dance. Think word, the word choreography. So to circle around or to dance around, the image of God existing in a relationship that is so intertwined and rooted in love and mutuality that three exist as one being. A constant dance that continues on from creation to eternity. As Catholic priest Richard Rohr says, whatever is going on in God is a flow, a radical relatedness, a perfect communion between three, a circle dance of love. And God is not just a dancer, God is the dance itself. Or as our hymn likes to put it, I'll lead you all in the dance, says he. This, friends, is of course just an image or metaphor. There is no perfect end-all way to encapsulate the mystery of the God we know in three persons. To do so would be to limit the limitless God, to put God in a box. Yet, like narrative hymns or the image of dancing, perichoresis has gained traction in recent years in the church. This, in large part, is because theologians see this as the ideal model for human relationships. As God exists in a relationship of love and interconnectedness, so are we, as those made in the image of God, called to draw near to God and to one another in relationship community, fellowship. Now, this isn't just fancy talk about God, friends. This isn't just esoteric theological talk. Um, this stuff matters. It matters urgently, here and now. In a time where we as a culture are at odds with one another over everything, from policies, about wearing masks and vaccines, the image of perichoresis reshapes our understanding of who we are as children made in God's image and how we are connected to one another as children of God, even those with whom we disagree. Trusting in a God who lives and exists in relationship calls us to live relationally and see how our actions and decisions affect those of our neighbors. To be caught up in the dance of God, to bear the name of Jesus as a Christian, means doing everything we can to love our neighbor and care for their well-being. As followers of Jesus, who, as Paul says, look not to his own interests but those of others, this is our sincerely held conviction. It's what our Lord calls us to do. Friends, in this troubling moment of pandemic, in discord, we can trust in the words of our hymn. I'll lead you all wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. Wherever we are, as individuals, as a community, wherever we are, we know and trust that Christ, the Lord of the dance, will lead and guide us. May we be led into the dance of God, and may this divine dance of love draw us closer together as children of God. And finally, may this dance embolden us to do everything in our ability to love and care for one another.
particularly the vulnerable and oppressed, looking to their interests and not just our own. Amen.